If you can't change it, change the way you think about it. Or as our guest today likes to say, yes, and, which is cue for, yes, this happened, and what else? Is there another way to think about it? We are master storytellers, which means we have the power to reframe our experiences and the way we tell our stories. I'm so excited to talk about this today. Let's go. Welcome to the Pursuing Perspective podcast in connection with The Warrior Project and sponsored in part by the Medjucos Health Institute. This podcast brings together people who actively pursue healing and growth on their journey and want to help others do the same. It is not just another bank of ideas from experts in their field, but is also a place that includes paths for practical application to shift both beliefs and behaviors for the purpose of progression. It's about knowing where you're at and how to get to where you want to be. Hello friends, I am so happy that you're here. I am your host, Chantel Thaxton-Blake, and this is episode four, Reframing. I wanted to make a connection with the previous episodes and what we've talked about from healing. Originally, when we were talking about physical healing, um, Dr. William Blake talked about the stages or the phases involved in that. And the third one is that proliferation where we're sending all of the tissue to that wound to help with healing. And the fourth phase is where we are reorganizing all of that. It's also known as maturation, where we're making sense of everything that was sent there. And when I was thinking about this process of healing from an emotional end um, and how important that is that Once we kind of are coming out of that other side of healing and we've got this information that we've used, whether those are thoughts or resources, that we reorganize that and make sense of that in a way to help apply to our life. And and our guest today is going to help us talk about what that looks like and how we build to that. One of my first experiences with this awareness um, happened when I was actually on a trip for work and I was in California. And we were meeting with a library director there. And we went to the library, and the library was actually locked. Um, They weren't opening till later for some reason that day. And so we kind of had some time to kill. We couldn't get a hold of her. And they were actually doing kind of a book fair outside. And so I was just thumbing through the books. And this kind of old, ratty book stood out to me. And it was called Feeling Good, The New Mood Therapy by David Burns. And so I bought it and it's a book from 1980 and it's, you know, it was kind of outdated and I just thought, oh, I'm interested in that kind of this new mood therapy. What is that? And it was profound for me. It is, it looks even more worn now because I've read it so many times. Um, It was where I first learned about cognitive behavioral therapy, which was huge for me in my overall healing and growth experience. One of the places initially in the book, he describes it this way. He says, the first principle of cognitive therapy is that all your moods are created by your cognitions or thoughts. A cognition refers to the way you look at things, your perceptions, mental attitudes, and beliefs. That was huge to really recognize. I think there was so much that felt reactionary to me that I felt like, you know, something happened to me and then I would respond and there was no choice time within that. It almost felt especially after we've gone through trauma and things, it can feel like a knee-jerk reaction that we don't have control over. 
And that was one of the single most empowering awarenesses that came in that, you know what, there is a point of choice there that as I work through these strategies and understand the power of my thoughts, which my mother talked about and we'll dive into as we get into her work in the, in um, upcoming episodes, that the power of our thoughts is profound to affect our our emotions and, and overall our experience. And so as I was thinking about this, I wanted more than anything to have my dear friend Carrie Drake Saunderson on our show today. She is brilliant in this arena and we actually worked together in education um, and learned very quickly that we were soul sisters in this arena of just loving growth and um, how do we expand and improve our perspective and experience. So I'm so excited to have her today so that she can help us understand how to use the technique of cognitive reframing to identify and dispute irrational or maladaptive thoughts to find more positive alternatives. Carrie has a bachelor's degree in communications and a master's degree in teaching English to speakers of other languages and a certificate in applied positive psychology. She is a positive psychology practitioner and currently works as a curriculum and training specialist and wellness specialist at Reading Horizons and is the founder of Learn Happy. She is an accomplished educator and presenter who is passionate about positive psychology, personal narrative reframing, and resilience. Welcome, Carrie. We're so excited to have you join us today. Thank you, Chantal. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. And you're right, we are soul sisters about this our passions are on this topic. So Absolutely. I, this is where I learned so much of this and you expanded my understanding and my ability to apply this in so many ways. So um, talk to us so everybody can kind of get this a little bit more about what personal narrative reframing actually is and why it's so important. Okay. Um, personal narrative therapy for me has been very impactful for my day to day and just the way I react to situations, how I feel about situations. In fact, I have a, a, a plaque up in my office, a, a framed quote, and it says, if you can't change something, change the way you think about it. And I think that kind of summarizes mm, yeah. what we're talking about here. So, you know, recognizing that, first of all, our thoughts and beliefs impact how we feel from moment to moment, day to day in our relationships and our experiences, and that we actually have some control there around those thoughts and beliefs, and that by changing those thoughts, to a more positive state that can actually give us better outcomes for our emotional well-being and our life in general. Awesome. So tell me, give us kind of an example, something that we could maybe connect to of what that would be like. Yeah, I like to think of the example, maybe an example that we experience daily. Let's talk about driving and traffic for just a minute. Okay. And I want you and each of your listeners to just imagine that it's a Monday morning, you're late for a very important meeting and you get in your car. It's a very hot day in the middle of the summer and the air conditioning is not working, right? So you're already kind of starting out with maybe a strike and you get on the road and you know it's a traffic jam and you're in such a rush to get to this meeting, you're getting flustered, I imagine. Uh, I want you to imagine that there's a car, this white car that is, it cuts in front of you, almost causes an accident. Then a second later, it cuts in front of another car, almost causes an accident there. How might you be feeling about the driver of that car? What do you think, Chantel? What, how might you be feeling towards that? 
driver. Mm, super annoyed. I'm probably things I shouldn't say on this, but yeah, just super annoyed that, you know, and immediately like angry and, and yeah, pretty, yeah, just all sorts of frustrated. Yeah. Okay. So our automatic thought is probably a negative one. Right? Yeah. I probably like, think that person was pretty much a jerk. So yeah. Okay. And that we are as human beings, master judges, master storytellers, and we can do it in an instant. So without a blink of an eye, a situation happened, a story was told or created about it. And then our emotional outcome followed, right? When we felt Mm -hmm. frustrated or angry towards this driver, or maybe he's an inconsiderate jerk, you know, who knows? Yeah. But what if I gave you some more information? What if I told you that this man, you know, was in a rush to get to the hospital because his only child was sick and and didn't know if he would ever see him again. He was in critical condition, wasn't sure if he was going to die, and he was trying to get there to see his child one last time. How would that change your perception at all of the situation? Entirely. You know, I mean, instead of showing up with judgment, I would show up with empathy and, and really wanting to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, of course, weave in and out of traffic, go fast. You know, I mean, because immediately you, yeah, there's a totally different feel around that. Yeah. Um, there is a, a master teacher on this subject. His name is Shrikmar Rao. And he teaches a class called um, Personal Self Mastery. Personal Mastery. I can't remember the name of the course. I'm sorry. I'll have to go back and look it up. But his whole point, and he shares this story in his workshops, is you know, we we think we're living in the real world. We're actually living in a real world that's very much influenced by how we think about the things that happen to us and the stories that we're telling. So just how, you know, with one counterfact, I gave you some more information, you kind of changed your perception, that paradigm should have changed your actual feeling versus the other counterfact that I had invented or that you had invented at first this guy is a, is a jerk. He's cutting off people. He's almost causing accidents. I'm making a judgment. The truth is we don't really know which of those is true. You know, they're both, they're what Sean Aker calls counterfacts. They are masters at telling counterfacts. That's just a hypothetical story about the situation. We're trying to fill in the gaps or we're grasping for meaning at any given point. Um, we're not going to hire a private investigator and find out which of those counterfacts is true so in that moment, we actually have a choice. We have a choice what, what to believe. Um, and often we think, you know, an adversity happens, and then I feel this way. We think A equals C, adversity equals consequence. But actually, there's another part of the equation. It's A plus B equals C, and that B is our belief, our thoughts around that activating event, or around that adversity that caused our emotional reaction. And we have a whole lot of control over that B that we don't even realize. When we hand over the power there, if we don't take control over that, um, life just sort of happens to us when we live in this emotional reactive state. That's one example that I like to share that kind of shows. I think another story that might illustrate this point, there's a story that I heard once and I, I liked the message. It's a story about a Chinese farmer and he lived on a farm alone with his son and they had one horse. That one horse did all the work for them. That's how they got their, you know, did their farming and made their livelihood and their, earned their living. And one day the horse ran away and all the village people said, oh, isn't this horrible? Your only horse that ran away. Now, how are you gonna make money? This is such bad luck. And the farmer just looked at them and said, 
I don't know if it's good luck or bad luck. Well, the next day, the horse came back, and this time he brought back 12 wild stallions with him. And all the townspeople said, wow, isn't this amazing? You have such good luck. Now you have 12 horses. You can do so much and sell them and train them and make so much money. And the farmer just looked at them and said, I don't know if it's good luck or bad luck. And lo and behold, the next day, the son was training one of the horses, one of the wild stallions. And one of them, you know, got a little out of hand and ended up stepping on his son's leg and breaking his leg. Well, his son now was injured and all the townspeople said, this is horrible. Isn't this such bad luck? You know, how, if your son can't help you, how are you going to make money? And the farmer just said, I don't know if this is good luck or bad luck. Well, then a military draft came into town and all the men, all the young men aged 18, you know, to 26, were drafted off to the military, um, but because his son had a broken leg, he wasn't able to go. Oh. Um, and the people said, you know, isn't that such good luck that, that he couldn't go? And the farmer again, I don't know if it's good luck or bad luck. Well, most of the town's young men, unfortunately, never returned home alive. And the moral of this little story is, you know, things happen to us from day to day. We we want to make a judgment so quickly. Is this good? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? What caused this? We want to influence that. But in reality, we don't know what, what we're going to be taught from it or what that's going to lead to. And we have such great control over just our belief around that. I like those two stories to kind of illustrate, you know, what is, what is cognitive reframing? Well, first of all, it's recognizing that we have some control over our emotions to the situations that happen in our lives. I love that. I think, you know, that was the thing that stood out to me. I think especially with certain experiences. And as I mentioned in the last episode on grief, that I was so like feeling like life was happening to me instead of for me. And it was really easy for me from that space to explain everything as, oh, you know, this is happening to me again or and feeling like there was no control. And I think that's where hope gets lost when we feel like we don't have any control. And that recognition of, no, I have some control here, that maybe this happened to me that I didn't have control over, but then it's what we do from it from there, which is what she talked about in the book Option B that we mentioned. You know, it's we all have these things. It's then what do we do with it? Um, And that's one of the reasons, though, I even wanted to bring in healing in general, because I do think that sometimes the injury is so deep that there are some reactionary things, that there has to be some healing applied before we have the ability to um, kind of, you know, have that choice within there. Sometimes it is almost like post-traumatic stress where there's just this response. But I think that was also the power of that post-traumatic growth that she talked about. I know that you want to talk about a little bit later. Um, what So what makes us do this? Like, how do we get in the mindset that we're explaining things one way versus another? What What does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah, um, that's what um, psychologists call our explanatory style. Um, so essentially, this the way we explain these events that happen in our lives um, is 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 explanatory style. And essentially, there are two explanatory styles. Now, we may be familiar with the glass is half full, the glass is half empty. You're either a pessimist or you're an optimist. You know, depending on how you mm-hmm. view it. Um, I think historically, you know, that was thought of as a, a character trait 
you're either an optimist or a pessimist. You see things in a positive light or you see them in a negative. That's not actually very accurate. The, the truth is about explanatory style is it's a way of thinking. And we as, as human beings are always growing, changing. We change from moment to moment sometimes with emotions or feelings that come. So that explanatory style, yes, people have a tendency toward an optimistic explanatory style or a pessimistic explanatory style. And it's really that explanatory style that influences the way that we view the world. Um, so if we have a tendency towards a pessimistic explanatory style, it's kind of like what you were talking about. Um, you know, this is happening to me, or you're, you're kind of a victim in the events um, of life as they unfold without any real control there. You don't feel a real sense of a locus of control. Mm-hmm. Um, if you lean towards an optimistic explanatory style, things happen but you absolutely have influence on them. So you're not, you, you're more of an agent that can act or as you mentioned, post-traumatic growth, you can take those experiences and then launch them into something else. So it's kind of like, it goes back to that. If you can't change it, change the way you think about it. Well, we can change our thinking sort of more optimistic or, or pessimistic state. And an optimist, to put it another way, an optimist, you know, if something good happened, they would they would take kind of some credit. I did a good job, you know, if good luck. If something bad happened, they wouldn't make it so permanent and pervasive, you know, and personal. They would just kind of say, well, it was just a, a freak accident. This bad thing happened. That's kind of more the thinking along the, those lines. And a pessimist, on the other hand, would do the reverse. If something good happened, they'd say, oh, that was just a freak accident, a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. My story is that, you know, life is hard. These negative things happen, something, you know, and and maybe I have some influence there. So it's more global kind of. And then if something good happens, they might say, uh, well, that, like I said, that was just a free gas and something bad. Oh, this always happens. And it's because I do this or I always contribute to these outcomes. So if that kind of clarifies. What yeah, it does. Two, they, they, they really indicate and influence our belief around any given situation that happens. So I have a couple of questions with that. Well, I actually had a thought as you were talking about it. It reminds me of confirmation bias, which I learned recently in the last couple of years about, which is, you know, that whatever beliefs we're currently holding, we're willing to look at information that supports that, but discount information that doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that creates a unique setting because our brain really is wired to try to make sense of our world. And so if it doesn't fit, which is also maybe causing some discomfort, which our brain likes to avoid, then mm-hmm. we'll move that out in a way to say, okay, well, I'm only going to look at this information because it supports the belief that I'm holding, which can be dangerous because if we're holding a belief that actually doesn't serve us and isn't in our highest good, we just perpetuate it because we would still kind of maintain the status quo there, even though, We know that might not be in our good. You know, it's interesting. I thought of something as I was going through my mother's work that we'll get into. And and specifically in the meditations that she did, she talked about, you know, I notice the way I think about myself. I monitor my own thoughts as if I were studying them. The way I might casually have a thought about myself here or there or a response I might have inside myself when I'm in situations or in conversations. I'm going to examine why... Um, when I'm in situations or in conversations, when I'm in those places, um, you know, that maybe I'm presenting myself um, in a negative light that's drawing from me physically, mentally, emotionally. And it was really profound to see that my mother had recognized that she, and I don't know that she labeled it beliefs, but she started to recognize that the thoughts and the thoughts are where those start. Um, 
that when we have those thoughts over and over again. So this was kind of my question, you know, how two things, you know, you said that we, we thought it was a characteristic. So, mm-hmm. you know, and so kind of are those learned then a little bit and then which means they can be unlearned. And then how do we move from how do thoughts kind of move from beliefs? Is it just that those thoughts are over and over again, that we're just unaware of them and let them run kind of on repeat? So, sorry, I guess I'm asking you two things. So if it's not, sorry to split it for you, but yes. So is it like a characteristic? If not, which you said that research is showing it's not, then what does that tell us? And then how do thoughts become beliefs? A little bit, if you could expound upon that a little bit. Yeah, so um, the first question again, you know, is just to rephrase, how do we change, if it's not a personality trait, that means, is it learned? Can it be unlearned? Absolutely. And in fact, that's what the research has shown, that this explanatory style can be influenced just by explicit practice and recognition. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute, but it can, it's, our brains are plastic. We believe in neuroplasticity. They can be wired and rewired at any time. Often the wiring, you know, has, has occurred for a long time. It's in place either by our relationship with our mother, something from our childhood, you know, those can be in place. However, it's in becoming aware and in that realization and learning some strategies around it that we can lean more towards an optimistic thinking style, which then would maybe be better for us in our individual lives as an outcome. Um, It's not saying that we have to be, you know, sunshine and roses all the time. That's, it's not suggesting that we need to never be negative and only be positive. It's that by putting ourselves kind of in a, in a more in control position of our fate, of our destiny, having more positive thoughts about what happens to us, it impacts us emotionally, which then makes us feel happier. And, and better. And also there's tons of research around that actually, which I find fascinating. There's research to support you know, scientific evidence to support why it's better for us to kind of adopt this more optimistic outlook, um, even in the face of negative, what we perceive as negative events. Um, anything from, you know, they, they do better in the business world. They make more money, you know, without this wow. optimistic uh, they also health-wise, they get sick less and they recover faster, and they live longer. You know, there's all kinds of reasons for why, you know, it may not be serving us all that well to sit in this pessimistic energy or this victim energy. Yeah, um, I think that's what my mother realized. You know, that's what was yeah. so interesting is that even though she had a physical illness, she saw such a strong correlation between her thoughts and her ability to deal with and then heal within her physical illness. Absolutely. And, you know, even in the research I was reading recently, they talked about how even when they do get sick, they don't let the symptoms bother them as much. So you talk about what kind of skills would help you in a chronic illness or in a situation where it is your reality every day, this pain and this discomfort. Well, how can I maybe adopt a more optimistic thinking style about that or find some meaning in it? Then that actually impacts you physically and emotionally. The mind and body is so connected in that. Yeah, so powerful. Um, So talk a little bit about, I want you to tell us then, that's what I'm like dying to hear then, how do we start to influence that and change it since we can. But I just wanted to confirm to make sure that this is clear for all of us, that beliefs that we hold, which really create and affect our reality, those are created by thoughts that are repeated. Just help us make sure we we know what that is, because I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. Yes. 
And for me, they're almost synonymous, but I like that. The, the more frequently you have a thought, then it becomes kind of this permanent belief. You know, um, you know, if, if I, I'm trying to think of an example that would be pertinent to, to us today. Well, while um, you think about it, I just, one of the, the reason I bring it up is because there was something that I was reading mm-hmm. and I remember it was something along the lines of this, that beliefs are a result of thoughts that have automatized and are attached to emotions. Mm-hmm. So we have like these intense emotions with these thoughts that have automatized. And I think that's what's so important about just being aware of starting with our thoughts, because if we leave them unchecked um, for positive or negative thoughts, they could end up being our beliefs that we hold that shape our world, which, you know, positive um, beliefs that are in our highest good, those are great, but it's those negative ones in particular that could end up wreaking havoc on our experience without us being even aware of it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, and and the first thing that came to my mind on a personal level is, you know, my my parents divorced when I was young. Um, I saw over and over again, you know, that what I thought the story was that love doesn't last, you know, so, Mm. you know, that's the thought that I'm having. And then, you know, I get into my adult life and then I experience relationship after relationship that end and it's this self-fulfilling prophecy love doesn't last, it's always going to end. And I really had to combat that to be able to get into a long-term committed, happy, secure relationship, you know, because I had thought that so much, it then became my belief and then a self-fulfilling prophecy in my life kind of played out, you know, that, well, this is going to end anyway. So this is the evidence to support the ending of that, you know. That is so powerful. Um, Yeah, and I've had similar experiences. And this is why this was such... This is one that I was just so excited to share because it really was such um, a profound awareness for me to recognize that my beliefs were creating, like you said, those self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm -hmm. So talk to us now Mm -hmm. about how we can exchange that. Since we can affect it rather than just be affected by it, you know, what does that look like? How do we do that? Okay. Well, when we read, we begin with ABC, right? So Mm -hmm. we're going to go back to the beginning. Let's start with our ABCs, um, how to really impact this. We want to actually get into, slow down this process. So often the judgment is happening instantaneously. We're almost just like victims of our emotions as they come and we take it as truth. I thought it, I felt it, therefore it's true, right? When Mm, really we can break it down, slow it down. So we want to slow down this process and really kind of understand what's happening. So Martin Seligman and Albert, Dr. Albert Ellis, I think Dr. Ellis came up with this model. Marty Seligman has used a lot in his work. He's the father of positive psychology. Um, and in cognitive behavioral therapy, this is used kind of as a strategy to how to really identify those thoughts and how to then challenge them. So let's start with the A. The A is the adversity or the activating event, the thing that happened, right? Okay. Normally we jump right to the C, which is our consequence or our feeling. However, we've already talked about there's a B in there. There's our belief about it. So you want to first identify, you know, what it was that happened. Last night I was driving in traffic. You know, the adversity that happened is somebody was driving past us in a lane to the right and then wove in front of everyone, cutting everyone off who was waiting their turn in the right way. You know, that was the adversity. Well, my my consequence, if I jumped to my C, was... I thought, wow, what an inconsiderate driver. What a, what a jerk, right? Mm-hmm. I, there's a B in there. So my belief, so I have to stop and think about my belief. What is the story I'm telling? And the story was, 
this guy doesn't care about anybody but himself. He's doing this on purpose. He's trying to make us suffer, right? And so, and that is that, and that made me feel bad, right? That's amazing. I don't know that we ever realize, really, you just, that was so profound that you just said that, that even though we might never articulate that, that's Mm -hmm. the story that's landing in our consequence that we, wow, sorry, that was profound. Keep going. Yeah, Yeah, that we have this whole story that we probably don't even realize we've created. Absolutely. And it could be over the simplest thing, you know, my husband finished my favorite cookies. He didn't leave any for me. What this made me feel frustrated. Well, it's because I believe that the reason he ate the cookies is because he doesn't care about me as much <laughs> or, or not a priority in his life, right? Um, so we yeah. instantly jump to this story. So it's really just kind of like parsing it out. So what was the activating event? What was my belief? Or, or even if you want to jump to see first, what did I feel? What is my belief around that? So just kind of identifying those, like you said, that's kind of the aha moment. Okay, there's a lot more going on there. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody in the parking lot gets angry at me and honks their horn at me. My reaction is to be angry. Why am I angry? Well, actually, it's because I believe that I try to be a good driver and follow the rules. And I thought that they thought that I was doing something wrong. So they saw me as, Mm. you know, something different. So it was almost shame or or, or something else that I was feeling, but I have to really identify that to see what's going on with my reaction. And then there's another letter in the equation. So once we can just identify those ABCs, what's the the adversity? What is my belief about that adversity? And what is the consequence from that? What is the emotion I'm feeling because of that? The next step would be B, and that is to um, and this is where it gets kind of fun. Because Carrie, I'm going to have you say that again because it just kind of cut out just so a second. A so say bit. D and then what that stands for again because I want to make sure all of us get that clearly. Yeah, no problem, no problem. So after the ABC, the adversity belief consequence, the next step is D or dispute. We need to dispute it. We're going to take it to court, okay. right? So how, how now could, could I see this in a different light? How can I adopt a more optimistic explanatory style about this particular situation. Um, Some simple questions to guide that would be, okay, what evidence do I have that proves that, you know, this person was a jerk or that they didn't care about me? Um, uh, One of my favorites is just, is there another way to look at this? You know, Mm. what else is true? So kind of like the story with the, the, that I shared at the very beginning about the white car that was cutting other cars off, Mm -hmm. you know, my first story could be this guy is, is is rude and inconsiderate. He's a jerk. Or, you know, what else is true? Like the, like the hypothetical story about the counterfact of his child being in the hospital. And he might never see him again. So there, there is a lot there. And so we could think of that. And then for me, I like to then the next step be, okay, out of those options that I thought of, which one actually serves me better? Which one helps me feel better, helps me feel like my best self? the person I want to be, mm. that is the then the focus I want to put my energy on, the one that actually is serving. Now, it may be that in that moment, it actually is serving me to feel angry for a second, and then maybe it has some purpose in that. But long-term, and for my health, my well-being, my life satisfaction, my relationships, I'm probably going to want to go with the one that's a more neutral, compassionate response to the, experience, to the events that are happening around me. Yeah, that's what. Oh, breaking it down. Yeah, sorry, Carrie. I just, um, I just jumped in because it reminded me of um, what um, Andrew said on um, episode three on grief, 
about how, you know, we're supposed to sit with those emotions, but if, because they're there to tell us something, but if we sit too long, it's when they lose their, um, you know, efficacy or their ability to help us. And so you kind of said that same thing, that it's like, it's true. Like, we don't want to just be like, oh man, I feel really angry, upset. Oh, never mind. I'll just be happy because there may be some information right there. Like, you know what? A boundaries Mm -hmm. crossed. No, I have Mm -hmm. a right to be angry here. This Mm -hmm. is telling me that I need to do something and take some action. But it's then, okay, so how can I look at this? Oh, thank you. Like, thank the emotion. You know, I'm so grateful I felt this anger. I'm going to use this to set a boundary that will be better serving for me and the person that crossed that boundary and honor us both. And that can kind of come in and help maybe rather than being, oh, like, you know, just go into that pessimistic, you know, explanatory style, like you said, and assuming that that boundary was crossed because this person's just horrible and doesn't care about me. But it could be, you know what, maybe this person's just not aware of boundaries and I can help teach them by setting them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's a, you know, that's kind of clicking for me now as you're saying that, that I think it's really the combination of all the things we've been talking about through these episodes. You know, it's, it's recognizing these emotions, listening to them and honoring them, but then knowing that there's a choice there and looking back to see, is that emotion serving us? Is there some information there? Or can I also now create this explanatory style that will serve me? Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I like to think of that as it's a yes and so often in life we you know we want it where we go to one extreme or the other we want it black and white Mm -hmm. it's not always that way and sometimes things can coexist it can be yes this is how I felt Mm -hmm. and maybe there's another perspective to it that would if if adopting that perspective might put me in a better realm or a better space or in in a set myself up for more happiness or well-being in that way. So it's kind of like, like you said, accepting what is, and and Andrew mentioned that, you know, sitting with the grief, you know, let it, there's a reason for that. Don't just Mm -hmm. brush it aside. But then at some point, it's not serving you anymore to just sit there and you need to now use that as a launching pad for post-traumatic growth. You know, like, let's actually make something, let's, let's be prepared to find the meaning. I know Andrew talked about how you can't create the meaning. It kind of comes to you but you can certainly create the space for that meaning to come. And if you're married to that original automatic negative thought and you never break break out of that, then that's all you're ever going to see. So by kind of getting to a more neutral space, um, trying to just name the facts of what happened and then you know look at the counter alternatives, um, disputing that, seeing some other ways to look at it, and then ch- making a choice of which one you're going to act on, you really put yourself back in the driver's seat of that experience and allow that learning to then come to you. There's an opportunity for it to circle back and now show you the meaning from that and use that as a launch to something greater. I love that. You are the first one that taught me about yes and. You know, I'd come to you with things and you'd be like, yes. And, (laughs) and it was so good for me. Okay. And okay. How else can I think about this? So that is a great, like quick takeaway as a prompt. Like, I think that's a short one we can all remember. Okay. Yes. This just happened. And (laughs) I like what you said too, about, you know, maybe there was a person in your life that crossed a boundary. Yes, that happened. And like you said, maybe they didn't understand or they don't have the maturity to be able to handle this or the same training or upbringing that I do. And I'm going to choose 
this. I'm going to choose forgiveness. I'm going to choose, you know, to move on or focus my energy elsewhere rather than dwelling in that same negative cycle. So I, I love that, you know, just yeah. the giving space for both, which is hard. It's sometimes hard to do that. And, and that's where Katie and she talks about, you know, get curious. Like instead of just reacting and we so quickly judge and react, instead of reacting, maybe make a more neutral reaction. Like when something like that occurs, you can think how fascinating, isn't that interesting? You know, or even when something happens in our lives where we want to judge it, you know, we might even make a judgment statement about it and then we can retract it and say, oh, how fascinating. It's kind of like the Chinese farmer, right? Yes. Uh, that's so interesting. How fascinating that my, you know, horse ran away. <laughs> How fascinating that he came back and brought 12 others. So it's kind instead of, of judging it, it, it's that big yeah, difference, yeah. labeling it or judging yeah. it more observing. I love the term observing, yeah. you know, observing. My mother said that, you know, um, I monitor my own thoughts as if I were studying them. So like observe mm-hmm. them, step outside of it. I think that's the danger is when we identify with our thoughts and emotions. And you said that early beautifully um, on that you said, you know, I thought this, I feel this, therefore I am this, or it is this, right? We, we identify and anchor that where if you can step back and say, this is a thought, this is an emotion, it doesn't have to be who I am or integrated in that way that we can have that processing time. But in those moments where it's really stressful and that's happening so quickly, um, where it doesn't feel like there's a lot of reaction time, you know, what does that look like? We might not be able to move through all of those. So, so how do we do that? What's next? Yeah. Okay. That's a great question. Yeah. So in the moment when this comes up, when, when, you know, something happens and we react, we, we deal with that every day. We're not going to pull out our worksheet and write a, you know, a column. <laughs> okay. What's the A here? What's the B? What's the C and the D? We don't, we won't have time in that moment. So this is what in psychology and positive psychology, they call real time resilience. That's where in the heat of the moment, what are some strategies that we can put in place that would really help us to, to kind of come out on top. Remember that we have control here. Um, A few things. First of all, you want to put yourself in as calm of a state as possible. Often we get triggered and this emotional and physical response happens in our body. You know, it's that fight or flight. We kind of get ready to fight and defend our stance when mm-hmm. when that feeling comes up. So the first tip would be just take a deep breath, right? Just activate that parasympathetic nervous system when you get that deep breath into your stomach. You're really putting yourself at a, a calm, a calmer state um, where you can remain more neutral and mm-hmm. kind of think more clearly. And then the second thing I would say is get curious. For me, I I have, I love the ampersand, the and sign. Mm-hmm. You'll see it almost in every room in my house. And the reason for that is I see that and it reminds me about yes and. So is there another way to look at this? Whatever just happened, I made a judgment call about it. You know, my, my, my daughter's frustrating me because of this or she's not listening. I made a judgment, but and what else is true? And that simple formula for me, just in the moment, take a deep breath. And then ask myself, what else is true? Or is there another way to look at this? Having those just two really quick questions, almost in the same moment that we're having the quick judgment, can really help us with that real-time resilience on the spot. How can I handle these as they come up? And that just sort of puts us at a more neutral neutral space. The, the idea for um, real-time resilience is that it allows us to be more flexible and accurate in our thinking. Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, is going to lead to more positive emotional reactions. 
And it's amazing how when you start practicing this, it can even be a joke. My husband and I joke all the time. It, oh, really? Is there another way to look at this? You know, like <laughs> we, we dropped the, the cereal on the floor and we, now we have to clean it up. And like, oh, that's so annoying. Oh, how fascinating. Is there another way to look at this? <laughs> yeah, isn't that great that I can exercise my muscles and that I have hands to clean this up? Like there's always another perspective. And which of those two makes me happier? Well, probably the one that puts me in a more grateful state you know, recognizing what I have instead of being frustrated about something I have to do or, or that I'm stuck in. Wow. I love that. I love it. Okay. So, so much today you've given us so much that, and, um, it's like I've said to everybody before, it's like, we're going to have to talk more because I know that there's so much and you and I have talked for hours and we could continue to do so, um, because you are just such a wealth of knowledge and thank you for everything you've shared today. So if we were to kind of everything that you've shared, kind of break it down to maybe the three top takeaways that could move into action items that we could start to apply. What would those be? I would say the very first thing, just recognize that there is a B in that equation, that our thoughts and beliefs influence our reactions. So just start thinking about that, mull that over in every interaction, just think, okay, what what did I believe about that that caused that? So, and how can I control that thought or, or change that thought to better serve me? That would be the first thing. Okay. Um, next, I would say in reflective moments, when you can actually slow down that process of the A, B, C. So what was it that exactly went on? Even, you know, after an incident, if you can reflect and then bring in the D. So dispute it. What else is true? Is there another way to look at, do I have evidence? to prove this, I can't, you know, take it to court, get curious. And then the third thing would then be that, that real-time resilience, find something that you can remember in the heat of the moment that's going to help you. For me, it's picturing that ampersand and remembering yes and, and just simply asking myself, what else could be true? Is there another way to look at this? So really applying in the heat of the moment that real-time resilience to put you in a more optimistic, positive state. And again, why? Because it's better for us to be there. It's better for us to feel like we're an agent that acts in our life and not just somebody that's acted upon a victim of our circumstances. It's better for our health to kind of see your life in a, in a, a way that is leading to positive outcomes and um, it's better for our relationships if we feel that. But if we always feel like we're stuck and and things are bad and we're de- we're in this depressive state and you know this is gonna last forever, that can really diminish just our power as who we are as people and and our purpose and our our goals and just what we're sent here to do. So I think those would be my three takeaways. So recognize your thoughts break down the ABCD in a slow manner and then practice real-time resilience with the three suggestions. Awesome. I love it. And these notes, as always, will be next to the podcast that you can find those um, for reference um, at pursuingperspective.org slash podcast. And if you want to learn more about Carrie's Learn Happy curriculum to integrate well-being into the classroom or to connect and learn more about reframing, um, you can contact contact her via email or social media and we'll put those on those notes as well. We'll, we'll attach those links there. So, you know, just let us be mindful, you know, what stories are we telling? What characters are we playing? How is this affecting our experience? It is so empowering, um, as you so beautifully said, to realize that we've got power and control over this. Um, and we're going to be 
wrapping up the theme of um, the R in recovery next week before we move into introspection. And we'll be talking about um, kind of a, a take on the 12 steps in recovery with some new approaches about how we can apply a lot of the things that we've been talking about in all of these episodes. Um, some new perspectives and research that are truly transformative that I can't wait to share next week. So um, I hope you'll join us then as well. And I look forward to connecting with you on this journey of healing and growth as we pursue perspective and progression. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today. For more podcasts and information on events, visit pursuingperspective.org.